Well, good morning, everybody. Let me uh, add my word of welcome uh, to Dan's and uh, just remind you again that we are in this series, as Dan mentioned, uh, that we are calling Foolish Things Christians Believe. And we started way back on Easter, right? And the first, maybe the most foolish thing, at least as far as the world is concerned, that we believe as Christians is this idea that somebody can actually rise from the dead. And that's what we believe. We believe Jesus did physically rise from the dead. And because he lives, we're going to live too. Because he rose from the dead, that means that we will one day rise from the dead and we will live forever with him. And according to the world, that's just a bunch of foolishness. But, but we know it is God's truth and it's our hope. And then the, the last couple of weeks, we've kind of looked back and, and we've looked, first of all, at, at that guilt that we carry along with us, those sins in our lives, and, and uh, the, the world would teach us that, that we just have to live with that stuff, but, but we believe that forgiveness is possible, that when God says he's forgotten our sin, uh, that means it's gone, it's wiped out, and we have this new chance every day at a new, forgiven, perfect life. And last week we looked at this idea that even our suffering, even the struggles that we go through, the pain in our lives, the world teaches that kind of stuff is to be avoided at all costs. But God's word teaches us that even though he doesn't cause that pain in our lives, he can use that pain for good in our lives. He can take our suffering and suffering can produce perseverance and perseverance hope. And that, uh, that we can be better people because of what we've gone through. And we can be more useful to help others. And again, that's foolishness to the world. But to those of us who are being saved, it's the power of God in our lives. Now this week, we want to shift a little bit. And we want to actually take a look at, uh, at, at something that's more related to our present and even our future. As we live, and as Dan said before, we believe that change is really possible in our lives. Now, uh, this week I, I did a little search on Amazon, and I searched for self-help books. And look at what it said. Uh, it showed me one of 60 to over 70,000 self-help books that were available on Amazon. You know, I mean, think about that. 70,000 different choices if you want to get a self-help book. And uh, I wanted to see what those books were really like. I wanted to you know, have a chance to kind of look through some of them. So I went to this ancient thing called a bookstore, Okay. No, literally, I went to Barnes & Noble, and, uh, and I walked into Barnes and & Noble, and, and I said to the lady, can you show me where the self-help section is? And she said, well, if I did, that would kind of defeat the purpose, wouldn't it? <laughs> a- actually, that's, that's, that's a George Carlin line. That's not what she said. Uh, but uh, but she, she did tell me, she said, we don't have a self-help section anymore. Now it's called self-transformation. Really? So, uh, so Barnes & Noble doesn't help sell self-help books anymore. They sell self-transformation books. And by, by the way, this section was right next to the occult. There was something interesting about that. But, uh, but, but it wasn't just this one shelf. I actually shot a little video there. It's actually a whole bookcase full of books that are there to help you transform your life. And uh, there are some interesting titles there. You, you notice The Power of Eight. I don't know what that was all about. Glynis Has Your Number. That one was kind of interesting to me. Who is Glynis and how did she get my number? But anyway, you know, uh, you know, there's stuff like The Wisdom of the Universe, you know, The Seed of the Soul, all these different books that purport to help you change your life. Now, why are there 70,000 self-help books on Amazon? And why is there a whole bookcase full of self-transformation books at, at Barnes & Noble. You know why? Because none of them work, right? And, and the reality is they just don't. You can read all those books and, 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 and 
try to change your life, but, but the reality is the world recognizes the fact that change is really hard. In fact, last year there was this article in Forbes magazine, and, and it was eight reasons why it's so hard to really change your behavior, and they had a whole list of things from things like we're trapped in our own thinking to we try to change too much too fast. They just had this whole list of reasons why change in our lives is really incredibly hard. Now, uh, just to, to, in case you, you still don't believe me, let's, let's take an example of one thing that I know a lot of people want to change in their life because they know what they're doing is destructive, and that's this whole idea of quitting smoking, right? People want to change that. Now, the U.S. Center for Disease Control says it takes the average person who smokes 8 to 11 times of quitting before they, they finally are able to quit. And uh, the American Cancer Society says about the same thing. But guess what? The University of Toronto actually did a study on this. They, they followed 4,000 smokers for over 10 years. And, uh, and guess what they found? How many times do you think it takes the average person who smokes regularly to truly quit? How many times do you think? It was 30. Folks, change is hard. Real, lasting change in our lives is really hard. And guess what? Even the Apostle Paul recognized that. In Romans chapter 7, he wrote this. He wrote, I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Can you relate? I sure can. I mean, I'll have the best intentions about some change, something that I want to fix in my life, and I'll try hard, but guess what? I found out, and probably you have too, trying hard isn't enough, and I end up doing the very thing I don't want to do, right? Or not doing the very thing I've decided I want to do. We can really relate. But, uh, but here's the amazing thing. There's something in us that really desires change, Right? That there, there's something in us that, that knows that there's stuff in our lives that isn't right. It's not in line with God's plan for our lives. It's not the way we want to live our lives. And we really desire some deep change in our lives. We really do. We really want to see change happen in our lives. And, uh, and guess what? God wants that for us too. In fact, in Ephesians, Paul wrote this. He said, our job, that what God is trying to do in our lives is we must become a mature person, growing until we become like Christ. And in fact, a couple verses later, he says it this way. He says, we will grow up in every way into Christ. Literally, one translation says, says until we achieve the full stature of Jesus. When you were little, did you ever want to ride the roller coaster and there was this sign, you know, that said, no, you're not tall enough, you can't do this. Literally what the Bible is saying is we're, we're supposed to be as tall as Jesus, right? I, I have this little daydream, you know, this little kind of fanciful idea in my head that someday up in heaven, uh, I'm going to be so much like Jesus that somebody's going to come running up to me and go, Jesus, finally, I've been waiting to meet you. And then they're going to look at me and go, oh, wait, you're not Jesus, but you look like him. No. Not physically, right? I mean, that's, that's not really what God is saying here. What he is saying is that his dream for us, his plan for our lives is that every day we would become more and more like Jesus, that our lives would be more and more like what he created us to be. I love what uh, one Christian author writes. He writes this. He says, God loves you just the way you are. Let me stop right there and make sure you heard that. You don't have to change a thing. God loves you just the way you are, but he's not content to leave you that way. He wants more for you in your life. 
And, and so the foolish thing that we as Christians believe is that our behavior is not fixed. In other words, we truly believe that lasting change is possible in our lives. That's what we believe. And, uh, and, and so that's what we want to talk about this morning, this idea that lasting change is possible. And uh, look, at, look at these words from Romans, because this describes why it's possible. It says, have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead, now we also may live new lives. In other words, at the heart of our Christian faith, at the center of what it is we believe, we believe that when Jesus died on that cross, through our baptism, in some way beyond our understanding, we are connected to that death. It's as if we died with him on the cross. Our old self died with him on that cross. And when Jesus rose from the dead on that first Easter morning, what we believe is literally we rose from the dead with him. We, we rose to this new life. And because that new life is ours, because that new life is possible every day for us, change is also possible in our lives. As a Christian, you know, we could have a, a a fear or a temptation to join the rest of the world and, and look at change in our life and say, I can't do it. But guess what? God says different. God says we can do it. We can change. And so I want to spend the rest of the, this message getting just really practical with you on how God makes change happen in our lives. How we work with the power of God in our lives to see that change take place. And I'm actually going to be referring to a book. It's by a guy named Michael Hyatt. Now you may go, well, wait a minute. Did you get that on the self-transformation section, right? It, it, maybe. It might be there. If in that Amazon search, it might show up. I'm not sure. But, but here's what's different about this book. Michael Hyatt is a Christian. In fact, he's a dedicated Christian. He led a Christian publishing company for many years. And in his book, what he sought to do was to, to capture the biblical principles about change. And even though he wrote this for a secular audience, he quotes the Bible and he talks about Jesus as, as an example a lot in this book. He, he's got God's wisdom for change in there. And so I want to take a, a little time with you as we end the message today to go through four things that he says that, that I think he's dead on, come right out of Scripture, four things we need to know and understand if God is going to be able to work that change in our lives, okay? And here's the first one. Um, he, Hyatt says this. He says, if you're going to change, you need to find your why. And, and what he means by that is, is that you need to know the motivation for change. I love this quote from him. He says, people lose their way when they lose their why, Right? If you're going to try to change something in your life, if you don't know why you're trying to change that, if you don't know your motivation, it's not going to work. And, and he uses some examples of bad reasons for change. Like, for example, he says one of the bad reasons people try to change is they try to change to please other people. A number of years ago, I saw an example of that. A, a, a friend of mine's wife called me, not, not somebody connected with Trinity, it's a friend of mine from outside of Trinity, and, and, uh, and his wife called me and he said, I just want you to know, um, she said, I, I think... I think my husband has a problem. I think he's got a drinking problem. And I'm going to talk to him about it tonight, but you're his good friend, and I know what's going to happen. He's going to reach out to you tomorrow, and I need to know that you're going to support me. I need you to know you're going to help me with this. And so I promised her I'd do what I could. And so, so sure enough, the next day, right away in the morning, I get a phone call from my buddy, and he said, you know, my wife talked to me last night, and, and she thinks I've got a drinking problem. Can we have lunch? I, I, I want to talk to you about this. I said, Sure. So we're at lunch, and, and as the conversation was going on, finally I just looked at him, and, and I looked at him, and I said, do you have a problem? 
And, uh, and at first he said no. He said, no, I, I, I don't have a problem. Then he stopped himself and he said, actually, yeah, I do have a problem. He said, I got a problem with my wife. And, and he shared what he meant. What he meant was he didn't think he had a drinking problem. But he, he thought his wife was just being hypersensitive to the issue. She had had some history of alcoholism in her family. And, and he said, I, I think this is really her problem. But for her sake, I'm going to try to change. He said, for her sake, I'm going to cut back on my drinking. How do you think that worked? It didn't. And it wasn't until about a year later when he finally admitted to me that he believed he had a problem that finally change was possible in his life. Folks, we got to know our why. We got to know our motivation. And it can't be to please others. Now, surprisingly, another reason Hyatt says is not a good motivation to change is to please God. You might say, well, wait a minute. Aren't we supposed to try to please God? Isn't, wouldn't that be a great motivation for change? And he says, no, and here's why. How many of you think you can change enough in your life to please God? I mean, think about that. The standard's pretty high. Jesus says, be perfect as my heavenly Father is perfect. So if you're really going to change your life on your own so you can please God, you got to make yourself perfect. Who thinks they can, yeah, right. I can't, right? We can't. And and in fact, again, the good news is we don't have to, remember? God loves us just the way we are. We don't have to try to change our lives to please God. Another friend of mine, he doesn't go to Trinity. I'm trying to convince him to come to church here with us. And, uh, and, and he keeps telling me, oh, I'll come when I clean up some stuff in my life. He, he just feels like he can't come to church until he gets his act together. And I keep trying to tell him, no, it's the exact opposite. You come to church so God can help you get your act together. But, but so far, he's like, no, no, no. I, I got to clean my act up before I can come to your church. He's trying to please God. He can't. So what is the motivation? Well, Hyatt says this. He says, the Bible tells us clearly the only real motivation for changing our lives is in response to God's incredible love. We're not trying to please God. We're not trying to please other people. We're not even trying to please ourselves. The, the, The response to God's love in our lives is the only real reason for change. Remember a few weeks ago, back in Lent, we looked at those parables of Jesus, and remember that one story where, where he talked about uh, that, uh, that, that guy that went to this, his master and he owed his master millions of dollars and the master just forgave his debt. But he just couldn't believe that debt was forgiven and so he still kept treating people the way he used to. And what Jesus was trying to help him understand was no, that, that forgiveness he had received should motivate him to a new life, to a different life. And that's the only real motivation for change in our lives. Our why is because what God has done for us. So Hayek goes on and he says this, once you know your why, the next thing is you've got to think backward. Now that's a little weird, right? He, he uses this quote from Marshall McLuhan. He says, we drive into the future using only our rearview mirror. Now what he's talking about is this idea that we have to deal with our past. You guys, you guys know, by the way, if you want to make money, the number one fastest growing healthcare industry is tattoo removal. It is, that's true. There's, there's a lot of bad tattoos out there and a lot of people that want them off. So if you want to make some money, open up a tattoo remo- removal place. That should work for you. But, uh, but, but what, what, what High is, is trying to say is, if we haven't adequately dealt with our regrets, if we haven't adequately dealt with our past, they're going to forever keep control of us and change isn't going to be possible in our lives. 
There's always going to be this little nagging voice that looks at our past failures and it keeps us from growing the way God wants us to grow. That's why our message from a couple of weeks ago is so important, that our past is not fatal, that our past is forgiven, that God has not only forgiven, but he's forgotten our sins. The Bible says as far as the east is from the west, that's how far I have removed your transgressions from you. Folks, we need to grab a hold firmly to that message of God's love and grace in our lives that we are forgiven. And it's only after not only do we admit that we're forgiven, but we forgive ourselves that we can move forward and that change can be possible in our lives. Hyatt goes on and he says this. He says, change happens best with friends. In, in other words, he says, you can't really change apart from community with others. He, I love this quote. Again, this is from his book. He says, we have a very powerful myth in our culture, the myth of the self-made man or woman. But let's be honest, there's no such thing. Success requires help, usually lots of us. And, and the Bible says this in Ecclesiastes. It says, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. It goes on to say this, he says, um, you know, if one falls down and another is with him, he can help him up, but woe to him who falls down alone. In other words, the Bible's saying that God created us to be there for one another. Proverbs 27 puts it this way, it says, iron sharpens iron and one man sharpens another. We're supposed to be there for one another. And, and Hyatt talks about four ways he sees that kind of play itself out in people's lives. He, he says, first of all, when you're together with others, you learn better. Any of you checked out maybe like a, a master's degree program at a college somewhere or something like that? They do this thing now where they have these cohorts, and, and you're with the same group of people uh, for class after class after class, year after year. Do you know why they do that? Because studies have shown that you learn better in community with others. Another reason change works in the company of other people is this idea of encouragement. A friend of mine ran the Boston Marathon last Monday. Did you see what the weather was like for that? It was brutal, and, uh, and, and, and she, she told me later afterwards that there were a number of times she just wanted to quit, but you know why she didn't? Because she knew all over the country she had a whole bunch of friends that were praying for her and were following her progress on, on the website. They had this cool thing on the website where there was a little chip in the bib that she wore, and you could tell when she hit every one of the checkpoints, and you knew how fast she was going at each point, and, and, you could, and, and she said, I knew you guys were watching, I knew you guys were encouraging me, I knew you were praying for me, and that's what kept me going. By the way, she also said there was a little accountability to that, too. She knew if she quit, she didn't show up at that next checkpoint and was sitting in a Starbucks somewhere or something, you know, we'd, we'd, we'd be disappointed, and, and so that, that spurred her on. And, and honestly, Hyatt points it out, and I know this is true for me, when, when, we're, when we're trying to change together with others, there's a little bit of competition, you know, that, well, if you could do it, I can do it, right? Those are all good things. There's all positive ways that God uses our relationships to help change happen. It's why we say this here at Trinity all the time, and, and I still think you came up with this, Dan. I do, maybe, yeah. It's, uh, you can't grow spiritually unless you're connected relationally. By the way, search for that on the internet, Dan's name comes up a bunch. It does, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, we say that all the time, and it's because it's true. If we're really going to grow spiritually, it needs to happen in the community of others. We need to be connected relationally with a God that loves us and, and with the people that he has placed in our lives. 
Finally, the last thing that Hyatt talks about, if we're really going to make change possible in our lives, is we need to know the goal. We need to know why we're changing that motivation, but we also need to know what we're trying to change into. And for us, that's pretty easy, right? We're trying to be more like Jesus. That's, that's what it's all about. And uh, here at Trinity, we talk about these seven values, this idea of worshiping and connecting and, uh, and, and sharing our faith and serving other people. We talk about being generous. We talk about leading others, that we're disciples who make disciples. And we do talk about holding one another accountable, encouraging one another, and, and, and making sure everybody stays on track. That's, that's how we live out our lives, to be more like Jesus. The Bible has another way of talking about that. It's in the book of Galatians where it says this, it says, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. When I, when I read those words, how does it make you feel? Doesn't it kind of grab your heart and doesn't it make you say, I wanna be that kind of person? Folks, we live in a world that desperately needs these kind of people, doesn't it? I, I want to be the kind of person that after people have been with me, they say, boy, you can just kind of feel the love when you're with Mark, can't you? I, I want to be the kind of person that has that inner joy that no matter what the circumstances, that joy just kind of leaks out of my pores. I, I want to be the kind of person that, that exhibits the peace that passes all understanding that can only come from God. I want to be a patient person. I want to be a kind person. I want people to think I'm good and faithful I want to be gentle, even as I speak God's truth to people. I want to know that I can go into any situation and God is going to give me a sense of self-control in those circumstances. That's the kind of person I want to be. And, uh, and, and again, that's the kind of person the world desperately needs. And it's the kind of person God promises we can be through the power of his Holy Spirit working in us. Back to that Romans 7 where Paul was talking about struggling with change in his life. And I love how he ends that section. He says, who will free me from this life dominated by sin and death? And then he goes, thank God. The answer is in Jesus. Folks, we have this incredible promise from God. The change is possible in our lives. That we can be better people every day. Now, by the way, Dan mentioned this before, but just a little commercial here. If you want to know more about what we are doing as a church to help you be more like Jesus, or if you want to be more a part of that effort to help more people here at Trinity be disciples who make disciples, to, to be people who help one another grow, I just encourage you, that, that Saturday morning coming up in May, May 12th, join us here. We're going to be right here at Trinity Green Trails. People from all of our campuses are going to be gathering together so that together we can talk about what it means to be disciples who make disciples, what it means to be people who are growing more like Jesus every day and helping other people do that too. Just encourage you and invite you to be there. But before I end the message, I just want to share one last quote with you. It's one of my favorite Martin Luther quotes. It actually hangs up um, on a, in a framed thing in my office. Just listen to these words. Luther wrote, this life therefore is not righteousness but growth in righteousness. Not health but healing. Not being, but becoming. We are not yet what we shall be, but we are growing toward it. This is not the end. 
but it is the road. Here's why I love that quote so much, because, guys, I, I've been working in churches in one capacity or another since 1980. It's a long time. It's almost 40 years. And, and I've been trying to follow Jesus even more years than that. And, and, you know, it'd be tempting at this stage in my life to kind of go, well, it is what it is, Right? You can't teach an old dog new tricks, and it's kind of like, you know, what you see is what you get, guys. I can't really change anymore, but I don't want to do that. Honestly, I, I want to be the kind of person that until I get to heaven is still seeking to grow, is still seeking to be better. And, and God's promise to me, I think is such an amazing promise, he promises me that that is possible in my life. Not only is it possible, but he is going to be the power for that change in my life. Isn't that amazing? We have a God that loves us so much. He's just not content to leave us this way. He wants us to be more like Jesus. Let's pray about that right now. Lord, thank you for this gift of your love and your grace through Jesus Christ. Lord, we, we admit to you that, that oftentimes we don't really want change in our lives. We're, we're comfortable in, in, our, in our faults and in our failings, and change just seems too hard. But Lord, you've promised us the power of your spirit to live within us. You've, 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 you've helped us understand the why, and that is in response to your love and your grace in our lives. And you've given us the goal, which is to be more like you. And you've given us this gift of our past being gone and forgiven. And you've given us the incredible blessing of knowing that we have others right alongside us who are going to help us grow more like you. So Lord, help us to be more like you. Help us to grow. And when the world says change is virtually impossible tell us again that that your wisdom is that real lasting change is indeed not only possible but we should expect it in our lives and lord i pray that you'd also hear us as together we pray the prayer that jesus taught us